This is the Week in Addiction Medicine, a podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today is Tuesday, January 24th, and I'm Claire Rasmussen. Our lead story this week, availability of best practices for opioid use disorder in jails and related training and resource needs, is in health and justice. This study found best practice domains included, among others, screening, clinical assessment by qualified treatment providers, medically managed withdrawal, medication administration, and counseling services. Some 92% of jails reported some availability for medications for opioid use disorder, but only 20% of jails provided it to persons assessed with opioid use disorder. Best practices were more common in counties with larger populations as well as a higher percentage of Hispanic residents, fewer people living below the poverty line, and fewer jail admissions. This study highlights the impact of lost opportunities for reducing disease, death, and recidivism that result from the lack of greater medication availability and accessibility. Next is an article in PLUS One titled, Cannabis Companies and the Sponsorship of Scientific Research. This cross-sectional descriptive meta-research study describes the characteristics of research that reports funding from, or author conflicts of interest with, Canadian cannabis companies. The companies were found to be analogous to peer industries by sponsoring research related to product development, expanding indications of use, and supporting key opinion leaders. Given the recent legalization of cannabis in Canada, there is ample opportunity to create a policy climate that can mitigate the harms of criminalization, as well as the impacts of the funding effort on research integrity, research agendas, and the evidence base available for decision-making. It is important that policies promote high-priority and equity-oriented independent research. A new article in Substance Abuse Treatment Prevention and Policy is titled Sorting Through Life, Evaluating Patient Important Measures of Success in a Medication for Opioid Use Disorder Treatment Program. This study conducted semi-structured interviews with 28 people receiving medications for opioid use disorder in Philadelphia. The authors note that traditional measures of success for these medications include retention and treatment, medication adherence, and lower levels of opioid and other drug use. This study identified items the people receiving these medications felt were indicators of success, such as stable housing, not using opioids, being happy, and having a sense of self-worth. The authors conclude that measures of success for people receiving medications for opioid use disorder are complex and multidimensional. Next, we have a study in the Journal of Substance Abuse and Addiction Treatment titled Community Implementation of Contingency Management to Address Stimulant Use. Stimulant use and its involvement in drug overdose has been increasing in recent years. To address this, an interagency partnership was developed in Oregon to design and implement a contingency management program within opioid treatment programs. Implementation of this program led to improved patient outcomes, with 28% of clients in the program registering as stimulant negative, which was an 11% improvement from prior to program implementation. Six-month treatment retention improved from 76% to 90%. After the implementation phase, the teams decided to continue the program utilizing grant funding with the intention to seek longer-term funding. 
A new study, An Expert Opinion on Pharmacotherapy, is titled, How Does a Clinician Approach the Pharmacological Management of Opioid Use Disorders in Pregnant Women and Pregnant People? Rates of opioid use disorder in pregnant people mirror those who are not pregnant, but the harms of untreated opioid use disorder in this population also include increased odds of health issues. In this article, the authors considered measures to reduce harm and promote healthy outcomes throughout the pregnancy and the first 12 weeks postpartum. These measures include shared decision-making, ensuring access to medications for opioid use disorder, and continuity of care in the early postpartum period. Further efforts should consider the policies that actually improve health, safety, and well-being for mother and baby, along with those that bring about improved outcomes. The next study is an Anthropology of Consciousness, titled Experiences of Listening to Icaros During Ayahuasca Ceremonies at Centro Takiwasi, an Interpretive Phenomenological Analysis. In traditional ayahuasca ceremonies, music was a critical part of the practice. The authors of this paper examined the use of specific songs called Icaros and their associated experiences. Patients reported feeling that the Icaros helped shape, control, and guide their experiences, and that the music modulated their emotional states and elicited experiences of healing. Given the importance of music in the traditional ceremonies and its potential role in positive outcomes, the authors suggest that additional research is needed to better understand the role and cultural context of traditionally used music. Our next study, titled Snapshot, Psychedelics, and Serotonin Receptor Signaling, is in cell. Serotonin signaling regulates processes in every major organ system, but is most widely known for its role as a neurotransmitter in modulating a plethora of human behaviors. Psychedelics target the 5-HT receptor and represent potentially transformative therapeutics for neuropsychiatric disorders. However, designing subtype selective compounds that distinguish between 5H2ABC remains desirable, as 5H2B or 5H2C receptor activation produces unwanted side effects. The ability to design 5H2A selective compounds will help refine the use of psychedelics for treatment of neuropsychiatric disorders while avoiding suppressing the potential consequences of broad 5H2 activation. Our final article is the New England Journal of Medicine, titled Physician-Delegated Unobserved Induction with Buprenorphine in Pharmacies. This letter to the New England Journal of Medicine describes a pilot trial of buprenorphine induction of 100 patients by pharmacists in outpatient pharmacies. The pharmacists evaluated the patients and then collaborated with an addiction medicine physician to derive a buprenorphine regimen for unobserved take-home induction. Patients returned to the pharmacy for dose adjustment until a stable dose was reached. Of the pharmacy-based care patients, 89% continued to attend visits at one month compared to 17% of the usual care patients. This pilot program is part of a phase 3 trial of pharmacy-based medication treatment for addiction. This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ASAM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary, delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and asam.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.